The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to kick off a new month of trading in the green after a wild May that saw stocks go basically nowhere fast. And call it a White House mea culpa when it comes to inflation. As Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen looks to set the record straight, her comments and the fallout from the Biden-Powell face-to-face, that's ahead. And the hits, they just keep on coming for Amazon. Under pressure again today as government regulatory watchdogs, they look to step up their antitrust probe into the world's largest online retailer. Plus, after dumping stock at record levels last year, insiders, they're starting to buy again, with some doing it at the fastest pace in more than a decade. Here where sectors and stocks are getting the most love. And later today, another record for the price of gasoline and for diesel. But the surging prices at the pump discouraging Americans from getting out on the open road. Are they? It's a great question. It's Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. It is Wednesday on this holiday shortened week. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now with this hour. Stock futures right now, well, a bit mixed. They've been kind of up and down all morning to start this uh, month so far. We're seeing right now the Dow looks like at this point, again, it's very early, could open up about 100 points higher, at least at this point. This is after a modest May for the major averages that saw the Dow and the S&P end the month with like little change. The Nasdaq coming off a more than 2% decline for its fourth down month in the last five. On a sector basis, energy coming off another winning month. You see over here, energy up just about 15%. Coincidentally, Arbob, that's the whole wholesale gasoline price, also up just about that amount over the same time. Real estate, the lagger, down more than 5%, but consumer staples not far behind, almost down 5%. Um, back to energy, it's fifth positive month in a row, as we just mentioned. Of course, we have to keep track of all the other things this morning. We're always watching things. Uh, we're speaking of energy, oil coming off a wild session as investors look to digest news out of OPEC and the EU when it comes to the future of Russian gas supplies. Oil right now up six months in a row. This morning, we're seeing WTI at about 116 a barrel. That's about $10 more than it was just a month ago, up a percent and a half. Brent crude up a percent and a half this morning as well. Also checking the bond market yields right now. Well, they were ticking slightly higher this morning. We're seeing they're ticking slightly higher still right now. The 10-year note at 2.866. Always keep an eye on that, especially as we start this month with the Fed meeting coming up and interest rates hikes, interest rate hikes. Got to get those words out. They are expected. And we're also seeing Bitcoin and Ether higher this morning. Remember, it was crypto winter when Bitcoin was below 30,000. Maybe this is crypto spring. I don't know. You got to just look at it right here. It's up a bit right now. Still, you got to remember, Bitcoin's still 54% off of its recent high. Solana, 80% off of its recent high. All right, now time to check on markets all around the world. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the very latest. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, it's been a pretty 
pretty choppy session so far here in Europe as well, similar to what you've seen in U.S. futures. It's a mixed picture at the moment. We've got some green on the board. The DAX is up about 20 basis points or so. The CAC 40 up about 14 basis points. Yesterday, those two indices underperformed. So a little bit of a reversal of that trade. Meanwhile, FTSE 100 is underperforming this morning. We're down about two-tenths of a percent. Yesterday, we had a stronger performance from the U.K. versus some of the other markets. We did get some discouraging data this morning out of Germany. Retail sales for April, disappointing relative to expectation. But a lot of the focus remains on the inflation data that's come through this week, yesterday and the day before, all showing that inflation in the eurozone has surprised to the upside. So a lot of focus on what the ECB will do next and building momentum around them raising rates at their July meeting and also their September meeting. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like this morning. It's a mixed board. We've got at the top autos outperforming up about 1.4%. Banks up about 0.6%. On the downside, basic resources are bearing the brunt of the selling. We're down about 1.6%. One stock that is surging this morning, Doc Martens, they delivered some better than expected earnings numbers and upbeat guidance for the rest of the year. On the downside, though, there is a stock in the financial sector that is suffering this morning. That is DWS. The CEO of the German asset management firm DWS resigned just hours after police raided the offices of both DWS and its majority owner, Deutsche Bank amid greenwashing allegations. So that's a story to watch. It's not going anywhere. DWS down 6.7%. Deutsche Bank, though, holding up pretty well. We're up about 7 tenths of a percent, Frank. All right, Juliana, thanks for the latest from Europe. And now let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Frank. The Supreme Court yesterday blocking a controversial Texas social media law from taking effect. This after the tech industry and other opponents warned that it could allow for hateful content and speech to run rampant online. The law prohibits online platforms from moderating or removing content based on viewpoint and stems from a a charge on the right that major California-based companies disproportionately censor conservative voices. The Supreme Court is likely to be asked about the constitutionality of the law in the future. Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic clarifying comments he made about a possible, quote, Fed put and a September pause when it comes to raising interest rates in comments to MarketWatch. Bostic says his suggestion the central bank take a pause should not be construed in any way as a Fed put or belief that the central bank would come to the rescue of markets. And the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, under the stewardship of its new chair, Lena Khan, is reportedly revamping its antitrust probe into Amazon. According to Bloomberg, the revamp includes a shakeup of the investigative team, re-interviewing potential witnesses, and asking questions about the company's recent acquisition of MGM Studios. The agency has been looking at Amazon since 2019 over antitrust concerns with its real retail business and cloud computing services. But obviously, Frank, Amazon is in a lot of businesses these days. Yeah, quite a few businesses. And Ber- Bertha, before I let you go, I got to say congratulations to your Boston Celtics. I always give you a hard time about being a Boston <laughs> sports fan. Congrats. 
All right. Thanks a lot. Bertha Coombs. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I do recall. I do recall a little trash talking in the office. Just a bit. Just a bit. But it's early. It's a little fun. All right. Turning our attention back to the markets, your money in Wall Street kicking off a new month of trading. This, of course, after a wild May for the markets. So the S&P up a mere one hundredth of one percent. Hard to even get that out. It's the smallest monthly percentage move up or down since September of 1979. At its worst, the index was down nearly 8% in May. At its best, up 4.3%, a range of 12 percentage points. Never before has the S&P seen that wide of a spread in the month. And then finished basically just unchanged, pretty much flat. So what can this all tell us about the month ahead? Joining us now is Grace Capital founder and CEO Kate Faddis. Kate, another Boston person. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So uh, you're saying right now, hey, it's time to get rid of those stocks that your friend in the gym told you about, that you heard about at a dinner party. It's time to really focus on valuation. So coincidentally, we're watching the stock Salesforce today, up big after earnings where the guidance wasn't really great. CEO Mark Benioff really talked about the uh, foreign currency impact of their strong dollar, a headwind that's not going to go away, especially if interest rates go up. But the stock's up after a lot of people feel like it's just too cheap to ignore. Is that one of the kind of companies you're talking about when you're saying there's a valuation story out there? It is, Frank, and yes, yeah, Salesforce. You did say Salesforce, right? That I is definitely a, said Salesforce. <laughs> very good company, very solid. It had really been beaten down, so I, I think it's on its way up. So, I mean, I, I think what's going on is the market, after what you saw last month, is still only down 13% on the year. So I think if you're someone who's worried, if you're skittish, if now is probably a good time to reposition, because look at what happens to something like Target, down 30% in one day. This market is very unforgiving. Yeah, it really seems like it right now. So you say it's unforgiving, but we have to find some places for value and basically some places to hide. You have a few picks. One of them is in a sector that we just pointed out to, uh, you know, the laggard over the last month, real estate. So why is this a good time to invest in a real estate stock? This is a good time to invest in real estate because this is not 2008. These stocks are trading like we just came out of a housing crisis. We have not. Home builders, the housing market is strong. Rents are sky high. The market has moderated from the past two years frenzy, but it's still very, very strong. Housing has not been able to keep up with demand because there's been a decade long underbuilding of housing. So here, this is my favorite one, Toll Brothers. Love the management team, super smart, $6 billion market cap. It's trading at five times P.E., Frank, yield of 1.6%. It's trading a little over book value. I mean, this is just absurd. It got as low as 44 Now it's over $50. Again, so, go on. No, so you're saying it's too cheap to ignore, but still shares down about 30% year to date. I want to get to the other pick before we let you go. In the financial sector, um, why do you feel like this is a good pick in the financial sector in general with interest rates rising? People feel like it might just be a rising tide. We saw some bank stocks actually raise guidance. You know, in the financial sector, you want to own a, a regional bank. You want a place you can hide. The Fifth Third is a bank. It's Ohio-based. It's got a 3% yield. And like you said, it's going to benefit from the rates going up. What I like about it is that it's conservative. Management, again, this is about management, very well run, very low non-performing ratio, charge-offs are 12 basis points. I think even if we get into a recession because the Fed gets too aggressive, this one is not going to get you in trouble in terms of uh, bad loans. All right, before we let you go, Kate, 
You're of the mind that we haven't quite hit the bottom yet. What's going to be the catalyst for us to hit the bottom that you think is coming up? I don't know what the catalyst is, but it, I say tw down 20, down 25 percent. Things at that those levels look very interesting. What gets us there? I don't know. I think it's going to be a volatile time. All right, Kay Fattis, we appreciate the insight as always. Thank you for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, could record high gas prices be putting the travel sector on alert? Plus, how some crazy currency moves are helping shares of this stock in the pre-market. And later, a very rare Oval Office face-to-face -face between Fed Chairman Jay Powell and President Biden. Highlights and investor takeaways coming up. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Let's talk travel, more specifically summer air travel. It's the first day of June, which means the summer travel season has officially begun. But this past Memorial Day weekend may be signaling a dreary summer ahead with more than 2,000 domestic flights canceled by the major airlines. And with ongoing COVID concerns among airline staff and jet fuel prices at multi-year highs, was this past weekend a fluke or are we in store for something much worse ahead? Joining me now is Peter McNally. He's a global sector lead in industrials, materials and energy at Third Bridge. Peter, thanks for being here. Good morning. So logical yeah, question. Summer... Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I cut... You're yeah. ready to go. Take off. We're going <laughs> to we're going to stay on theme. Pun intended. Look, the, the summer is going to be rough. Um, you know, people do want to travel. The, you know, the excitement to get back out there is is there. But uh, the airline just can't staff enough people to run these planes. And, you know, we really have seen this starting 15 months ago, you know, at, at Easter. And there were not that many people had had been vaccinated yet. Um, it rolled into last Christmas as well when people started getting Omicron and there were fewer people available. But now, you know, we're, we're back at the point where. Any, you know, anyone who's going to be vaccinated, like is, whether it's staff or travelers, and they're getting out there and there's just not enough pilots, you know, in, in particular uh, to run these planes. So what the airlines have actually been doing is actually they've been cutting capacity, even though demand is there. So these problems are not going to get solved this summer, at least according to our experts. So it can be tricky, um, you know, if you're looking to fly this summer. You know, really quick, I want to get to some uh, some other uh, issues here with the summer air travel. But could this potentially turn into a situation where kind of a snake eating its tail? Prices go up. It's less reliable. So it makes me less likely to book the flight because I feel like it might get canceled. Well, you know, what we're actually seeing now is that the, you know, the airlines do have visibility. You know, it, it's the surprises of when people don't show up is you know, harder to deal with. So. 
I think in in the near term, let's say over the over the next few months, you know what you're going to get. I mean, okay. weather is always a you know a, a bit of a wild card, but you know, price is definitely going up for air travel, particularly as costs just push higher. I mean, the big the big cost here for the airlines is you know is people, right. uh, but fuel right. is not helping either. So, I mean, one of the areas where airlines make, I guess, the highest margin sales on business travel, first class travel. Do you see the airlines continue to have pricing power when it comes to those areas? I mean, things are starting to open up despite COVID cases rebounding a bit. But does the price there uh, hurt the growth of business travel and first class travel? Or do people and, and companies just want to get out there? Well, what we're seeing, I think, is an important shift going on in people's travel habits. Like people are merging business and leisure travel together, uh, you know, particularly because they haven't been out in a couple of years. Um, and that is changing some of the dynamics on, in terms of capacity and price. So, uh, look, airlines do have pricing power in all parts of the cabin, you know, the, these days. And whatever seats they can put out there are going, you know, are being sold. All right. Uh, before we let you go, um, where do you see this all going this summer? Because we're talking about this summer travel season. Do you believe like do you believe the major airlines will either add more capacity or more staff members to kind of fix this problem sometime before we reach Labor Day? Uh, they would add more capacity if they could. You know, the big major airlines, United, Delta and American, are in a better situation from from what our experts are telling us. The regional airlines have really been picked over for their pilots and their staff hired by these by these major carriers. So regional airlines might be in for for a rougher go over the summer. Uh, good to know before you plan your trip. Peter McNally, we appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, big money movers and inflation taking a bite out of another high profile retailer. Stay with us. Today's big number. $39.5 billion. That's how much phone scams have cost Americans in the last year, according to a report by spam blocking app Truecaller. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. The most exciting part of a vacation stay at a home rental? Easy. It's being greeted upon arrival with a rusted lockbox affixed to the underside of a stranger's condo. Yeah, you simply twist knobs, click gears, jiggle it, and then rip it off its moorings, and voila! Your prize is a key to a questionable home rental and maybe tetanus. When you just want to get your vacation started by actually getting into your room, it matters where you stay. At Hilton, we deliver your key right to your phone on the Hilton Honors app. Hilton for the stay. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. First up is Salesforce. Shares up almost 8.5% as the cloud company reported better than expected first quarter, quarter results and hiked its earnings forecast for the year. The only headwind for Salesforce, the strong dollar, particularly against the yen, prompting the company to trim its revenue guidance. Chairman and co-CEO Mark Benioff addressing that issue with Jim Cramer last night on Mad Money. U.S. dollar, they had a far better quarter than we did. 
I've never seen the strengthening of the dollar like this over the last 90 days. It's been incredible. And uh, that's why we're you know, having to make slight adjustments in, uh, in what we're thinking we're going to do for the year. All right, stock two, HP Inc., the hardware maker. Second quarter results beating forecast on continued strong sales of PCs and laptops, which rose 9% to $11.5 billion. CEO Enrique Lores told me the company has seen company and enterprise spending remain strong. Printer revenue falling 7%, however, due to ongoing supply chain issues. HP is raising its earnings guidance for the current quarter. Shares flat this morning. Stock three, Victoria's Secret, the retailer's first quarter profit, topping estimates, but revenue and same-store sales, they both fell as inflation curbed consumer spending and supply chain issues. Those led to higher costs. Still shares up more than 7% right now. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Members of Congress are trying to find some common ground on gun safety measures. The House Judiciary Committee will hold an emergency session Thursday on new legislation. A bipartisan group of senators has been working this week on a possible deal for gun legislation. They're expected to meet again today over Zoom. In a New York Times opinion piece, President Biden said he'll provide Ukraine with more advanced rocket systems. According to White House officials, they are multiple launch rocket systems capable of reaching Russia, although Ukraine has agreed not to use them to launch rockets into the country. The president is expected to announce that package today. And we have some good news for our early morning audience, whether you like it black uh, with cream and sugar as a latte or an Americano. A UK study has revealed that drinking regular or decaf coffee is helping you live longer. Researchers studied 120,000 coffee drinkers over a period of seven years, and they found that those who drank a cup and a half to three cups a day had a lower risk of death than non-coffee drinkers. And this holds true even if they added sugar. Those who drank unsweetened coffee, well, they were up to 21% less likely to die during that study than those who did not drink coffee. How about that, Frank? Back to you. Yeah, I know a lot of people that feel like they're going to die if they don't have their coffee in the morning. <laughs> I, this is some new research now that actually helps you live longer. I always thought caffeine was bad for you. Yeah, so did I. But we have new research that has come to light. Well, I think a lot of people I know are going to live to be 100. Philip Men in New York, thank you very much. <laughs> All, right. All right, straight ahead, an inside look at the U.S. jobs picture with the highest traffic job website in the country. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Investors hoping to shake off a rocky May with the new trading month set to kick off and futures suggesting a potentially positive start to June. Top priority, President Biden and the Fed's Jay Powell coming together on how to tackle higher prices. As one of the president's top officials admits, a miscalculation on inflation's true impact. And after two months, Shanghai reemerges from strict COVID lockdowns as officials try to kickstart the stalled economy. We are live in China with the very latest this Wednesday, June 1st, right here on Worldwide Exchange. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money they look right now. We're going to begin with futures as we always do. Right now, well, kind of flat. The Dow up slightly above, pretty much fractionally. The S&P up very much fractionally. The Nasdaq down very much fractionally. So kind of a flat start to this morning. But right now, again, still early. The Dow could open up about 100 points higher again super early. Now we turn our attention to the bond market. Yields right now ticking slightly higher this morning. Right now we're seeing the 10-year at 2.864%. Got to keep an eye on these in June as we expect 
More rate hikes to come. We also want to hit energy because oil is coming off a 10% gain in May. It's six positive month in a row. It's longest monthly win streak since April of 2011. We're seeing the chart right here just going up, 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 up. Right now, WTI crude up a percent and a half, about $10 a barrel more than it was just a month ago. And also, we're seeing a sudden surge in gasoline prices. Arbob up nearly 18% in May, bringing the AAA national average for a gallon of regular gasoline to yet another record all-time high. Yes, you are reading this correctly right now. It's sitting just above $4.67 a gallon. A year ago, it was just over 3 bucks, a more than 50% increase, as you can see. All right, now to your morning's top stories. And the president and Fed chairman coming together to try to figure out how to tackle inflation. Our Bertha Coombs is back with much more on that. Good morning again, Bertha. Good morning, Frank. President Biden and Fed Chairman Jay Powell meeting at the White House yesterday to discuss the administration's plan to combat high inflation. The president saying the central bank will play a key role in bringing down high prices, calling it his top priority domestically. Biden telling Powell that he would not interfere with the Fed's critically important work and independence to get the job done. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was at that Biden-Powell meeting as well, is admitting that she was wrong last year in predicting that higher inflation wouldn't be a continuing problem. Yellen saying in an interview that when she made her previous prediction, there were not unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices. Yellen also saying she didn't fully understand supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy. Following the White House meeting, Yellen spoke with our Becky Quick about the administration's plans to tackle inflation. Now maintaining the gains that we achieved, uh, maintaining a strong labor market will be consistent with bringing inflation down. Mm -hmm. And the president emphasized his intention to do everything he can to lower the costs that Americans face for um, important items in their budget. Uh, for example, for prescription drugs, for utility bills, um, things where uh, the president acting on his own or working with Congress can make a difference. And also his support for deficit reduction. You can hear more of Becky's conversation with Secretary Yellen coming up on Squawk Box at 6 a.m. Eastern. Frank? Yes, yeah, certainly that'll be an insightful conversation. Bertha, thank you very much. Now to China as residents in Shanghai begin to emerge following two months of COVID lockdowns. That move was supposed to last just over a week and a half, yet still more than half a million residents, they remain in their homes today. The easing measures come as Chinese officials look to jumpstart the stalling economy. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more. Eunice, what's the latest on these easing restrictions? Well, Frank, the messaging out of Shanghai from the, from the top is that all systems go. Uh, the leadership there has uh, declared that in theory, all companies now can operate in Shanghai. Nearly all residents are free to leave their homes and that transport has resumed. So this is not only public transport, but anyone's private car, uh, whether or not you want to catch a taxi or a DD. So people were celebrating throughout the streets. Now, uh, I spoke with the American Chamber of Commerce here in Beijing and um, AmCham said that 
Uh, their members are now assessing exactly uh, what has to be done uh, before they can actually move forward. So that means checking their inventory. They're also looking at their components to see what they need and whether or not they're going to be able to uh, source certain components from other suppliers that are not in Shanghai. Also, uh, the American Chamber of Commerce said that um, their, their members are looking at the readiness of their equipment. As you mentioned, equipment had been stalled for quite some time. The EU Chamber of Commerce also said that there are several other issues that need to be worked out. Uh, for them, the most important they see is the worker shortage. Uh, once Shanghai started to reopen, there were a lot of migrant workers who left the city. So there's a big question as to whether or not those workers, many of them either truckers or people who work in the factories, will those people want to come back? Pandemic controls is another issue that the EU chamber sees. I don't know if you can see the line behind me, but the testing sites are now jam-packed. A lot of people have to wait now for sometimes one, two hours. So what does that mean for your efficiency? And then finally, overall, there's just this lingering uncertainty in Shanghai about whether or not uh, when the government says that these um, that this opening is going to happen, whether or not it's actually going to stick. And a lot of that uh, comes down to um, the response of uh, the, the government, uh, Frank, as to whether or not uh, if there is a surge in cases, Will the government clamp down and reverse? Yeah, Eunice, we can see those lines behind you. Very reminiscent of what we saw here in the U.S. right after Omicron, where it was almost impossible to get a test. So a very difficult situation there, obviously. Another question I wanted to ask you about was just some of the other big uh, cities there in China, like perhaps Beijing. What's going on there as far as COVID restrictions easing? Are we seeing that as a widespread thing or is Shanghai kind of almost a test? Shanghai is being very closely watched uh, because it is uh, the, the biggest city that had the, the most uh, severe lockdown here in Beijing. Uh, things are easing up a bit, uh, as uh, you well noted, that uh, there are a lot of people behind me uh, at this uh, COVID testing site. And the reason for that is because people are preparing to go back to work. But overall, uh, similar to what we're seeing in Shanghai, people here are wondering as to whether or not all this testing is going to eventually lead to uh, a more detection of infections. And even though the authorities keep saying that the economy is a priority, they are concerned about growth, they want to make sure that, that uh, businesses stay open, there's still a lot of inconsistency when it comes to how all of these regulations play out. And uh, uh, that is uh, one of the reasons why people are a little bit confused, a little bit conservative about their own spending and exactly what they need to do when it comes to investment. All right, Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, you be safe out there. Thank you for that report. All right, it's Jobs Week here in the U.S. with the May Employment Report out on Friday. There may be some cracks forming in the labor market as a wave of companies. They look to curb their hiring. Microsoft, Twitter, Snap, and Meta among those saying they're going to be a bit more conservative about adding headcount. Uber CEO telling staff they will treat hiring as a privilege. Others like Netflix and Robinhood announcing layoffs as demand slows for their products. Then on the flip side, companies in the hospitality and service sectors, they just can't hire enough people for what's expected to be a bustling summer after two years of the pandemic. Let's talk more about this right now with Anne Elizabeth Conkle, economist at the Indeed Hiring Lab. Anne Elizabeth, thank you for being here. 
Thanks for having me. All right. So, Anne, you, you shared some analysts, you shared some stats with us that right now it's almost two to one job openings to unemployed people, one point nine to one. But is that a, a leading indicator or is that a lagging indicator? What's the true picture of the U.S. job market right now? So right now, the labor market remains incredibly strong. Um, As you mentioned, we have nearly two job openings per one unemployed person. Um, Of course, that is going to be updated later this morning when we get uh, the JOLT report. But kind of when we look across the board, uh, all indicators um, are, you know, looking positive. Job openings remain at uh, historically high levels at 11.5 million. Jobless claims remain historically low. Now, the kind of pain point is that uh, we have higher than usual inflation. But the good news is that last week when we got the uh, personal income and outlays report, even after adjusting for inflation, consumer spending is still 5.6% above where it was in February of 2020, which really means that despite inflation, consumers are spending. And that is key because that is dollars flowing into businesses and those businesses in turn want to meet that demand and should be able to continue hiring. So really interesting stat you share with us. You said uh, for the last seven days, job postings are up 74%. I don't know if that's year over year, month over month, but either way, there's a rise in job postings. What kind of jobs are being posted on your site? So there has been a wide range of uh, sectoral differences. Um, You know, at one end of the scale, we have uh, software development job postings um, as of May 20th, up 123% compared to their pre-pandemic baseline. At the other end of the scale, hospitality and tourism has really struggled to you know, take off kind of uh, bouncing around, uh, you know, the 20, 30 percent mark for its pre-pandemic baseline. But the really interesting thing is that we have found in the last month that job seeker interest in in in-person work is starting to return. Um, That is great news for employers uh, in the hospitality and tourism space, food service, as well as retail, Um, because throughout much of the pandemic, job seeker interest had shifted away um, from, from those in-person jobs. Now, you might ask, you know, is remote work still popular? You know, what what do what do we make of this? Um, the best way to think of it is that remote work is less of a make or break factor now than it was say, last year or in 2020. We still have plenty of searches on Indeed focused on remote work. At the end of April, it was 9.5% compared to just 2% in January of 2020. All right, well, big uh, attention, if you will, On the three reports we have up today, you mentioned um, JOLTS, also the Big Jobs Friday report. What are you expecting and what do you think that's going to say about the U.S. job market? So uh, for the JOLTS report, definitely focusing on uh, the quits rate, which uh, can be an indicator of worker confidence and being able to find another job. Um, In terms of the the UI claims that come out weekly on Thursdays, that is an indicator that, you know, I have returned my eye to with the announcements of, uh, you know, these layoffs and hiring freezes, but nothing indicative yet. Uh, That is a volatile series. We would have to see something, uh, a multi-week rise to really have it raise concern. And in terms of the big report, what's coming out on Friday for Jobs Day, we really want to see the momentum continue. Uh, It's important for context that we are still 1.2 million jobs down from where we were in February of 2020. Now, 
even if there is some cooling, I think it's important to put that into context of where we are in the recovery path. Some of the numbers over the last two years have been absolutely eye-popping. And so even if it isn't one of those eye-popping numbers, um, it's important to remember it's one report. We want to be moving in the right direction and keep that strong labor market momentum continuing. Wow. Two million fewer jobs. Did not know that. And Elizabeth Conkle, we appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. All right, coming up on Worldwide Exchange, following the money and the biggest buys by company insiders. Our Robert Frank is tracking which executives are snatching up their own company shares and what it may signal about the broader markets. But first, as we had to break some of your top trending stories, it's official. Facebook's change to Meta will be completed next Thursday, June 9th, when the company changes its ticker symbol from FB to Meta before the market opened. That change was initially supposed to happen back in early December. Pepsi announcing is dropping another sponsorship. The company's head of global sports marketing revealing in an online post. Gatorade is dropping in its NHL deal to focus on women's sports and college athlete deals. Gatorade signed a five-year deal with the NHL back in 2018. And Elon Musk not mincing words when it comes to his view on the work-from-home lifestyle. Commenting on a Twitter post showing a leaked email to Tesla office employees saying remote work was no longer acceptable. The user asking the Tesla CEO to comment to people who think coming into work is an antiquated concept, with Musk tweeting employees unwilling to comply with office work should pretend to work somewhere else. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back. The market's facing relentless pressure throughout May, and while there was plenty of dramatic selling, C-suite leaders appear to be diving back into shares of their own companies. Robert Frank joins us now with a closer look at which corporate leaders are buying the dip. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Frank. Insider buying of company stock approaching a billion dollars for the month of May. But the strongest bull signal right now is in the number of buyers. There were nearly 1,300 company insiders buying stock in May. That was the highest number since March of 2020. Analysts also like to look at the ratio of sellers to buyers. Normally, it's about four to one sellers to buyers. But in May, it's been one to one. That is the lowest ratio since March of 2020. All this is according to Verity data. The tech and telecom sectors have seen some of the biggest buying, at least in the broadest buying. The top buyers included Dish Network co-founder James DeFranco. He bought $24 million worth of shares in May. Best Buy Chairman Emeritus Richard Schultz buying up $20 million of BBY. HCA founder Tom Frist with $19 million. American Homes for Rent director Tamara Hughes Gustafson with $18 million in shares purchased. And Howard Schultz very publicly buying $15 million worth of Starbucks shares. That's when he took the reins as interim CEO. Studies do show insiders tend to sell near the market peaks and they buy near the bottom. Frank, we'll see if they're right this time. Remember last year, insiders sold at record levels. Yeah. So, Robert, how much of this buying executives, buying options of the companies or for the stocks company, company stock, yeah, company stock versus the stocks themselves? Yeah, that's a good question because remember, if they're if they're just exercising options, they could be buying at a lower strike price than available to the rest of the market, in which case it would not be necessarily a bullish signal for investors. But all of these purchases were straight purchases of stock, not options related. So again, a very bullish sign and a broad-based sign given all this buying for the market. We'll see if they're right. 
Yeah, we'll have to watch them. We'll have to watch it. By the way, one step closer to the Frank and Frank show. I'm working on it, man. We're going to make it happen one day. Robert Frank, we appreciate it. Sounds good. All right, on deck, investors looking to hit the reset button after closing out a rocky May. RBC's Amy Wu Silverman lays out how the options market may be signaling some calmer waters ahead. And as we had to break, a look at shares of Apple. Nikkei reporting that the tech giant is moving some of its iPad production from China to Vietnam after lockdowns in and around Shanghai led to months of supply chain disruptions. The report adds that Apple has also asked multiple component suppliers to build up their inventories to guard against future shortages and supply issues. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Well, a very busy day on deck for investors, including plenty of economic data. At 945 Eastern, we get the final reading for May for the Manufacturers Purchasing Managers Index, that's PMI. At 10 Eastern is the ISM Manufacturing Read for May and the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey for April, also known as the JOLTS, ahead of the big Friday jobs report at 2 p.m. Eastern. Also, the Fed releases its latest beige book. It's a lot going on here, revealing the central bank's latest take on the economy and on the corporate front. Alphabet and Walmart hold their annual shareholder meetings today, and plenty of Fed heads are also speaking at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. It is New York Fed President John Williams at 1 p.m. Eastern, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. And be sure to tune in to Tech Check today for an exclusive interview with San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. That's at 11 a.m. Eastern. As we said, a whole lot going on. Back to the markets. Kicking off a new trading month after a very volatile May. The down the S&P able to bounce back and eke out some very slight gains. Tech taking it on the chin, though. The Nasdaq shedding 2%. But your next guest says, despite all this whipsaw action, the options market suggests lower volatility may actually be ahead. Amy Wu Silverman is the head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital. Amy, thanks for being here. Thank you. So you're comparing the volatility to the honey badger. Fun reference there. <coughs> <laughs> he says it just doesn't care. But what does the option market care about? Is the option market seeing the same volatility ahead? And if not, in what areas? Yeah, what I would say is, you know, volatility has been steadily unimpressed. You know, we felt the visceral kind of whipsaw. So your realized volatility, the volatility that occurs on a day-to-day basis is high. And usually, Frank, that feeds into future expectations of volatility. We aren't getting that. We aren't getting an increased demand for downside protection. Um, we're also not getting an increased demand for uh, upside swings either. The, the narrative around this, what people are saying is the reason is that largely investors have taken their ball and gone home. They've degrossed the year, they've de-risked. And so the options market, which typically is used uh, in a portfolio that's fully participated in, it is not really participating now. I think that's part of it. And I do think that the options market is saying that we are at or near the bottom right now. All right. So you're saying there's a number of signals, including ETFs that track bonds. The LQD is one you highlight. Also, the HYG. You're saying you're seeing substantial call buying. When you see substantial call buying for these ETFs, what does that mean? Yeah. So when I speak to volatility, initially, it's, it's always on a market level, the S&P kind of under the surface when you look at different ETFs like HYD, LQD, TLT, these bond proxy ETFs, you are actually seeing a lot of upside being bought. Uh, Another section, which is interesting to me, is you're starting to see that happen as well in China. So you're seeing that in ASHR and FXY. So essentially, you know, the way you can read the tea leaves is people are starting to dip their toe and perhaps, you know, say there might be an inflection point in these names below the surface, even though on a market level, 
you know, there's really no conviction either way on either the upside or the downside. So you say there's no conviction on the upside or the downside. So I'm a little bit confused because you're saying the, the call buying is going up. So that kind of signals that people believe that we're hitting the bottom, right? Yeah, so it, 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 that is more on the subsector level I mentioned. So your FXI, your ASHR, your you know your bond proxy ETFs. On the S and P five hundred, what I would say is going on is there's sort of a lack of either. If you actually look at kind of the volumes on both sides as well as the demand for hedges, it's not really showing conviction either way. I think I think people read it different ways. They they essentially say, okay, Frank, you know, because we don't see all that much in hedges. You know, I think that's it in terms of bottom. But other people could argue it's simply because people have de-risked and de-growth, so they're not participating. I think what that frames up is this idea that, you know, either an up crash or a down crash in the market right now is really not being priced in. So if, you know, if we rip up or if we sell down even more, neither one is being priced into the options market right now. So I think my statement is more about what tail is kind of more, going to happen. And right now, it's, it's obvious complacency from the options market on both sides. All right. So volatility hasn't been that much of a factor, but we have a lot of big events coming up. I mean, we have jobs report coming up on Friday that could tell a lot about the economy. Also, uh, the Fed possibly are expected to, to raise interest rates, a strengthening dollar. Can we see or do you expect us to see more volatility as we go ahead with all these other things going on and obviously inflation continuing to rise? So if you look to what has actually happened when these data points have appeared in the past, it hasn't really taken your, you know, your applied volatilities all that much higher. Now, part of that is because it's just, it's on an absolute level so much higher than it is last year in general, that it's kind of harder to kind of kickstart it even further. But that said, you know, historically catalysts are things that are supposed to spur volatility to higher levels, but we are also entering the seasonally slow month for volatility. So, so outside of this year, I would say, you know, as a derivative strategist, you usually tell your clients that a great time to sell volatility is actually June, July, and August. That seasonally is a time where if you're an overwriter, that's very compelling. Now, I, I don't know if that is setting up mm-hmm. for this year or not because of one, what you said, and two, because, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out right now, are we in a bear market rally or are we truly in a bottom? Because that has not been priced into the market, the catalyst may be something that actually takes your complacency and kickstarts it. All right. Well, first day of June right now, futures pretty much flat, nothing spectacular either way. Give me the last word before we head over to Squawk Box. What do you see coming up with the, the options market? Do you see people continuing to play it? to the upside or the downside in June? Here's what I'll say. I was just in Las Vegas for a derivatives conference. And one thing that I spoke about with our panel is, you know, everyone was prepared for this kind of 15% move down. It was a very orderly sell-off, if you will. Nobody's prepared for a down crash even more, and nobody is prepared for the up crash. (laughs) So in that sense, the fact that our VIX levels are sub 30, you know, at a 26 handle, is fairly compelling if you do, if you are involved in the market and you want to own tails in either direction. All right, that's the last word. Amy Wu Silverman, thank you for being here. Please tell your parents I said hi. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. The most exciting part of a vacation stay at a home rental? Easy. It's being greeted upon arrival with a rusted lockbox affixed to the underside of a stranger's condo. Yeah, you simply twist knobs, click gears, jiggle it, and then rip it off its moorings, and voila! Your prize is a key to a questionable home rental and maybe tetanus. When you just want to get your vacation started by actually getting into your room, it matters where you stay. At Hilton, 
We deliver your key right to your phone on the Hilton Honors app. Hilton for the stay.